discussing, discussing a public display of affection. Of course, it's February, it's the month of love, and I, I trust that you all pass whatever test that may have been for you and your relationship. I hope that we came through with flying colors on this side of Valentine's Day. But our conversation is deeper than a few hearts or cards or flowers or chocolate that get passed out. This particular day of the year, we're talking about a love that God commands us to have and that he asks us to put on display for the world that we live in. The first week we discussed our affection for God, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. But that love isn't supposed to be something static or buried beneath the surface of the skin of our, uh, this human body that we walk in every single day, that it's to be put on display. And then he commanded us that our love for him gets lived out in our lives with the people that he has placed around us. He said that we're to teach them diligently to our children when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise up, there's a conversation that needs to be continued in our lives and needs to be on display for the world around us, and it's our display of love for God. Last week, we spoke about God's public display of affection for us. We love God, but it doesn't end there. God loves us. And talked about John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Also found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There was, there was a public display of God's affection for us. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith and that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all of the fullness of God. That there is this connection to what we understand about God. If you just take a moment and, and look at that verse, is that verse still Still there, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. So it's going to go beyond our ability to know that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That there is a depth in God and there is, there is a revelation of God that can't come unless we operate in that realm of love. God's love for us, our love for God. And uh, I, I, I think that we all know that that's not where love starts and that's not where love stops so we have week one, I love God. Week two, God loves me. But this third week, we're talking about this relationship that we have with one another called, I love you. I love you. That may be three of the most difficult words to say for some people. It may be three of the most difficult words to understand for others, and it may be even difficult to receive if you've had pain in your past or, or someone that you loved you has hurt, that you loved has hurt you. That may be a very difficult phrase to comprehend or understand or even to exhibit, but I just came tonight with a simple lesson called, I love you. Because if we're to live in the fullness that God has called us to as a church, then there is an element that has to be present in our lives called love. From one another. We have got to love one another. We've got to love the people that God has placed in our life. 
We've got to love our wives and our husbands. We've got to love our children and our parents. And, and uh, you know, we, we've got all those commandments in Scripture because God has set the stage and framed this, this idea of love with, in relationship they have with, that we have with those close to us. But then that love is extended beyond that little tiny framework of family and extended to the world that we're a part of. And, and God, you know, we, we know we'll get there a, a little bit later, but that God even would uh, uh, want us and require us to love our enemies. That God would love, that would require us to love those that would despitefully use us. That God would require the church to turn the other cheek and look the other, other way when someone is kind of being rude or, or, or against us in every imaginable way that God still would require us in that moment to love even those people because simply we become the visible form of love to the world around us. The words of Christ in red found in John 13, verse 34 and 35 is this. He said, a new commandment I give unto you. That this commandment is required of us. As, as much as the Ten Commandments were required in the Old Testament, this new commandment comes to this New Testament, brand new church, and it says, I give you this commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also, uh, uh, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. That... Our witness is on display in the way that we model love to one another. Our witness is evident in the way that we love one another. Now, I'll be the first to admit, in this room, we have a lot of people with a lot of different ideas. We come from a lot of different backgrounds. We've got a lot of different folks. We've got a lot of different futures about plans and ideas that we want to implement. We've got a, we've got, you know, we just, some of us, our, our worldview has come from a very different location. It may be a culturally uh, uh, presented worldview. It may be a family presented worldview. It may be, uh, maybe the, the, the view that you can, you know, I don't know where you come from. You, some, I've, I've talked enough about me. You probably know me far more than I know you. It's just the way that I communicate. It's just the way, that, and some of you may think, well, what in the world? Have we got him up there for? It's just, and uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes you just end up saying too much. But you still love me. I feel, still feel that love anyhow. How many, how many, you, you just, you love me, it's okay, it's all right. I'll, I'll give it back. I'll, I, I'll say it. I'll, it's more than just the title of the lesson tonight. I love you. Here, here's the thing that. The more that you come into contact with individuals and the more that you begin to unpack people's lives and you begin to understand where people come from, you may not understand them on the surface. But when you begin to understand their story and you begin to understand the why for the what that they are, then all of a sudden, if you have that love that God has put in your heart, there's a part of you that opens up and says, I, I'm understanding. I love you. That requirement comes to us. It, it's a commandment because it's a commandment because sometimes we don't want to love them. As a matter of fact, we want to avoid them. Uh, we, we, want, we want to walk the other way. We want our head down in Walmart, going down the aisle, even though the arrow is pointed toward us. 
Sometimes that's what we want to do. But the commandment to love comes. And God requires this commandment to be lived out for us to love one another. Men will know. That's a weighty verse. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Now the people that I'm friends with and the people that have similar interests and the people that we, we hang out with or that we have common goals and common, that, those, those people are easy to love, I'll be honest. Those people are easy to love until you go away for a weekend together. <laughs> In Bible college students, you know, you know what I'm talking about, weekend ministry. You understand? You understand? But it's, <coughs> it's those differences of opinions and differences of ideas that sometimes, if we're not careful, can separate us and we bring misalignment in the body of Christ when God brought us together for a very specific purpose. There is nobody in this room tonight by accident. None of us are here without God's divine intention attached to us being in this room, in this season, in this time, in this day, in this age. No one online just happened upon this service tonight. God has a divine intention attached to lives. And part of that is that we love one another. Because when we love one another, we begin to operate as the body of believers that God has called us to be. Someone say the body. If 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us anything, it's that Yes, we want to be a church that operates with spiritual gifts. We want to be a church where the prophetic flows. And we want to be a church where that faith that Paul speaks about allows mountains to be removed. And, and that faith that allows us to operate in the supernatural dimension and miracles happen and signs and wonders occur. But 1 Corinthians, if it tells us anything, it's that the spiritual gifts are worthless if they don't operate under the greater authority of love. That gift is the governing that happens, and it allows us to operate the gifts of the Spirit. So we talked a little bit about that. We want the gifts to operate in our church. As a matter of fact, we'll go so far as to say we absolutely critically need the gifts to operate in our church. We need prophetic to happen. We, we, need, a, we need tongues and interpretation of tongues. We need faith to rise in the room. We need healings and signs and wonders and miracles, and we need all that. But God can only trust us with that if we have an environment of love. And so the requirement comes for us to love one another. This isn't the only relationship that matters. We can and we need to spend time in fasting and prayer and we're talking about that and that establishes this strong relationship this way but God also requires us to establish our horizontal relationship because he can only trust us with that kind of authority and that kind of power if we love one another. Let me tell you that if God and when God does begin to operate that way, then there are things that are revealed. And if you're not careful, and if we don't have love one for another, then we'll use information to destroy one another instead of to build one another. And that's why God wants us to, to operate in this realm of loving one another. Because when the gifts and the prophetic begin to flow, there are things that we'll begin to know about people that we didn't ever imagine. 
But when we are operating in the realm of love, guess what happens? That information is authority to come to someone and say, God is working in your life, and here's how you can repair what's wrong, and here's how you can build what's broken, and here's how you can restore what's been torn down. God is allowing us to understand this love comes, and when it comes, we get to operate in the supernatural realm. The gifts will begin to flow when the love begins to flow. And I know I can speak for Pastor Woodward and Pastor Matt and and Pastor Jack, when we say yes, we need the gifts to operate. But it's only going to happen when we love one another. So one more time, would you look at your neighbor and say, I love you. I don't know if you had an argument at supper time, but look the other side and say, I love you. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's the prophetic right there. I'm, I'm only half joking. So we can be able to prophesy with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel, but if we don't operate under the banner of love, someone shout love. It's worthless. We may have that gift to move mountains, but unless we operate under the banner of love, love is that all-encompassing safety net that God trusts us with so he can release the gifts in our midst. Well, that was fun. Here, here, let's dig a little deeper. You, you don't commit to love and then back out later. Let me remind us those words that many of us have spoken. For better or for worse. For richer. In sickness and in health. To love, to cherish, till death do us part. Yeah, but I didn't know. I didn't know what was going Love. Love that. That's why. That's why the marriage ceremony doesn't include a signature on contract. It's, it's a covenant relationship where love reigns and rules. First Peter chapter 4 and 8 even takes it a little deeper. It said... Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. If you looked at that word fervent, it would have the impression, the understanding of stretching and unceasing agape love. The love that reaches over the gap that would divide. The love that, uh, that reaches past the division. The love, the love that just reaches in spite of the hurt that you've had in your life. And, and just, just to be clear, none of us expect anyone to stay in an unsafe relationship. Are we clear? Are we clear in there, that? But, but sometimes it, it gets a little unnerving when, when you hear some of the excuses for people stepping out of relationship because they don't love any longer. That's why Jesus said, a new commandment. And if that, those ideas can invade our most preeminent relationship called marriage and, and cause marriage to dissolve and marriage to break down, then, then what happens in this relationship with one another in the body of Christ? Now, do we have tools that we need to exercise to strengthen our relationship? For sure. Are there counseling that's required sometimes? Absolutely. Is there is there, does everybody get it right all the time? No. No. Does it, does it mean that, that marriage becomes work? Yes. From the wedding onward, it's work. 
But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Watch what happens in your relationship when love comes to the surface. Watch what happens when love, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Watch what happens when, when we don't always get our way, but we look, uh, we look the other way sometimes so that the relationship can grow and foster. And, and you say, well, that, that just sounds, I, I, I want my way. No, that love isn't about getting your way. Love is about loving in spite of how you're feeling. That's why it's a commandment. I'll reiterate, John chapter 5, Jesus does too, by the way, he reiterates, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, verse 17, in case you missed it, five verses later, let's say it again. These things I command you, that you love one another. I love you. I love you. James chapter 4, from whence comes wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even out of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. And we have these two things warring against one another. We've got your lust, which are, it feels a whole lot like love. You have a love that's directed in another direction. But here on the other side is the love that God is requiring us to have. So you can have lust or you can have love. You get to pick. But God said that, that if we pick love, then it brings unity, that love covers and love connects and love binds and love heals and love touches us and love helps us. Or, or you can have lusts that allow us to go into this place of war and fighting and, and people are destroyed and lives are ruined. And we don't get because we don't ask and we ask amiss because we're just concerned with our lusts. How about being consumed with the love for one another instead? Just down a few more verses, the, that New Testament pastor James, he says it one more time. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Someone say love. Love. You know that, <clears throat> without a doubt, we've got differences among disciples. We all, um, we all have, we have, we have differences in our families. We've got differences in our, in our church family, just like every family. There's something beautiful that happens when we bind together in love. Bind us together. Do you ever take a few minutes to think about the disciples? They were fishermen, but they weren't even fishermen from the same class. We know that James and John were mending nets with their father, and Scripture seems to indicate that they were business owners. Maybe, maybe they were the business owners that employed Andrew and Peter. We don't know. That would change the dynamics of discipleship a little bit, wouldn't it? You know, James and John are firing the orders, and you get impetuous Peter, who does what he wants half the time, and Andrew, and, and, and you can imagine that the relationship, and then this guy comes along and says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, and all of a sudden, all of them are on the same team, when maybe they were in different stratospheres of society only moments before, but now we've got to make it work. 
We've got Thomas and Nathaniel and Philip, and they may have also have worked as fishermen. And we've got, uh, well, let's just complicate matters a whole lot. Let's bring in Matthew because he was the tax collector. And if James and John, if they were the business owners, then probably they were collecting from Andrew and Peter's paycheck. And maybe Nathaniel and Thomas and Philip's too. And, and they were pulling from the top end of the business so that they could pay the tax collector Matthew. And I'm sure that James and John didn't really want to pay that 10 or 15 or 20%. And now they land as these disciples in this band of 12. And guess who's there? Matthew. So good to see you, Matthew. What are you doing here? Collecting the best 10 fish of the day? No, been called by him. Well, he called us. and Wow. You know, Matthew probably would have had... A, a higher level of education and probably some level of reputation among his peers and the elite of society to achieve this status of job that he had. And Matthew's wealth may have helped him fund Jesus' ministry and maybe he contributed more than James and, and John and maybe it was just a whole convoluted thing. But now, all of a sudden, they're on the same team and no wonder when we read through scripture, it's disciples warring against one another, trying to find the best seat in the house, trying to figure out who's where in the pecking order and trying to figure out who has the most authority. And John, all he wants to do is, uh, you know, get really close to Jesus and hang on and find out the, the, the close words that he's saying, John, let's just come on. And if you're not careful, all the disciples can become just a group of individuals like us. Sometimes. Right? I, I wonder, I, I actually have a few uh, name tags for disciples. Gentlemen, could you help me? I know you're all taking great notes. Can you just leave it aside really quick? I, I don't even, I've got 12 disciples here and I think I've got eight students. Just pass those around and make sure somebody doesn't get Judas because we may not live that one down. And I'll be Peter, I guess. Everyone's going to have to get involved. Everyone is going to need to be involved. And maybe if you would, if you just kind of come up here and sit. Now, I know Sunday night when I got home, my wife reminded me that I made Matt and O'Neill stand for the entire sermon. So I won't do that to you tonight. Um, I'll just ask you to sit right here. If you would, just really quick. We're, we're, gonna, we're coming in for landing in about, oh, a Jeff Arnold, five minutes. Aren't these some great-looking disciples? We some great, great help here. We've employed some ladies. That was unexpected, and that's my fault because I didn't give good instruction. I would love them anyway. So now we have, let's just slide back into scripture and we're, we're projecting some idea on our band of disciples somewhat. And we've got these individuals, and I, I still need a Peter. And Anthony, can you be Peter? And, and we have them waging war half the time on one another because they're trying to figure out who and where and what and who's going to be the next great leader and who's going to be the teacher and in, in this great kingdom that's coming, are they going to be 
you know, what level of authority are they going to have and how many are they going to rule over and, and all of that kind of thing. And Jesus is desperately trying to teach them to love one another. And the job obviously is <clears throat> more than a one-week lesson and it's more than just the Sermon on the Mount and it's more than while well, he's teaching the multitudes and it's more than all that because it says that it comes right down to the feast of the Passover, that last feast when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he was going to depart out of the world. He said, unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So he is modeling a love for them. And the Bible tells us that, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garment and then took a towel. And the Bible says that he girded himself and that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And the Bible tells us that Jesus takes the role that was designated and relegated for the lowest servant among them. And the Bible tells us he took off his garment. Bible tells us that he laid that aside, he poured the water, and then he began to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we got some salt from the parking lot, but that when Jesus began to take upon himself the role of a servant, and I can imagine that all of the conversation or all of the, all of the struggle that had been just previous to them while they while they were trying to find the best seat in the house, all of a sudden, it became very quiet in the room as he washed his disciples' feet. It had been the job for the least among them. They probably didn't even notice the servant that was absent in the room, but it had been so common in so many of the places where they had been. They weren't concerned with who was going to cleanse feet. They were concerned with who's going to sit closest to Christ. And Jesus begins to model to those men about what was required of them. That love takes the lowest level and reaches into the deepest part Judas, Peter, you're going to deny. You're going to curse. You're all going to run and deny. But he still models in that last supper to all of them the deepest level of love that he can. You see, that attitude will change the environment of the body. That love will never be forgotten.
takes his place and the Last Supper, we commemorate it with the cup and the bread. But how often do we forget the towel? Because we want the power of the blood. And we want the blessing of the body. But not many of us. I'll put myself at the top of the list. Want to live out love. You see, I love you. I love you is a word that, words that cause us to go to the lowest level and give the most with nothing anticipated in return. I'm sure if Jesus had done that foot washing mid-ministry, the disciples would have leveraged it and turned it, but Jesus waited until the very last moment when he knew that it couldn't be returned. He wanted to model that he didn't want anything back for what he was going to do. It was a gift of love. It was a representation of love in spite of everything that he knew that they were going to do against him. In the next few hours, it says that he loved them until the end. What kind of a church could we be? if we loved like that until the end. What kind, of, what kind of love? You see, I've only been in a, and I'm, you know, I understand we get a little worried sometimes about foot washing, but it was part of our past. As I, uh, as I read through Brother Tenney's notes, about foot washing, he said, I'm worried about it being dismissed in the church of the future. I think it's important tonight that that little cloth that we passed out, it's significant. It's just a, just a symbol of the attitude that needs to be a part of all of our lives. That we, that we in this day, in this age, live with the towel around our waist instead of the microphone in our hand. That we live with a greater level of love for one another and then watch what God does through a church like that. You don't find love looking for it. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. You don't find love by looking for it. You find love by laying your life down for it. As we come back to the music tonight, spiritual maturity isn't about how much you know. It's about how much you love.
It's about how much you're willing to give. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our world is in need of love. Our world needs a church that has this. In order, I love you. We need a church that's in order, understanding the love that God has for us. But beyond that, God is looking for a church that will love the world in an unprecedented way. To love like he loved. Amen. Could you thank these students for helping us tonight? You can be seated, gang. Pastor mentioned uh, surgery on my mother-in-law that they did last evening, and Alice has had some physical challenges uh, over the last while, but one of the moving things that I've seen is the relationship between her and her husband. Not diminish as their years grow together, but that it strengthens and the bond becomes deeper. And not because of the amount that one another can give to each other. It's actually the dependence that they each have on one another. Terry, he's got heart trouble and physical ailments. If we asked him for a list, he probably could give it. I don't hear it much, but I know it. But he mentioned to Kathy, he said, you know, the last while I'd have to get down every night and take the wrap off of her foot and wash and medicate it and bandage. And that insistent wound, it just won't heal and wrap her foot back and care for her. And uh, he's not saying that complaining. He's just indicating what the requirement is. And he doesn't complain about that because he loves her. And yesterday when she was preparing to go to surgery, I, we had Terry on the phone and she said, Dad, just do what you do best. You just pray. love one for another without any expectation of anything in return just love isn't that a picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be isn't it isn't it that Jesus said in Philippians 2 he said but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He loved us that much. God loved us. We love God. But this requirement for us to love one another is there. I wonder if you'd stand together with me. And I don't know if you still have that small cloth with you that was passed on the way in. But I wonder if you'd just take that in your hand. I'm not going to ask that you'd get down and wash someone's feet or clean, clean somebody's shoes tonight, you're welcome to if that's something that you feel to do in the Holy Ghost. But I'm wondering if you would just hold that tightly in your hand and begin to commit to say, God, if you would take on the form of a servant, then, then that is what I want to do.
That's the way that I want to live. That's what I'm committing to. I'm committing to your commandment to love. And the three final points that I would leave us on this third week of a simple lesson called public displays of affection, I would say, number one, we know that gifts operate in that umbrella of love. We want the gifts to operate, so let's exercise love. We know that our witness operates in the environment of love. In this, men will know that you are my disciples. God, I want our lives to be a witness to this world. I'm going to operate under that umbrella of love. And if spiritual maturity is measured by the gauge of love, then God, as I grow in my relationship with you, I will have capacity to love the things that maybe I don't even love now, people that I don't even love yet, people that frustrate me or become an obstacle to me, or God, help me to grow in a level of spiritual maturity until I recognize that that gauge is moved because my level of love has grown for the world around me. Someone just look at your neighbor and say, if it's appropriate, I love you. I love you. I wonder if you'd lift your hands and then just let God know that you want to love like he loved. Come on, there's power that happens in that environment. There's there's blessing that rests in that level of love. When we forget about the seat that we're going to sit in, when we forget about the influence that we possess or we have when we decide that we're going to take the lowest level of servanthood and love, then God will operate in our midst. The gifts will begin to flow in a marked and a measured way. The, the power of God will move in our midst. The prophetic will flow. The gifts of the Spirit will operate. God, I pray that you would allow love to be exercised in our relationships. God, start in our homes, start in our marriages, start in our families. But God, would you begin to branch out into areas of our church family and God, that we would love one another, that we would serve one another in love. God, I pray that you would allow us to reach into our world. God, that we would turn our attention from ourselves or just one another right here in this room. And God, that you would allow us to see God, allow us to see the one hurt by the highway side. I pray that you'd allow us to see the, God, the one that's lost. I pray that you'd help us to understand the prodigal. God, I pray that you'd allow us to have a love for the lost that we, God, that maybe we don't have yet. But God, help us to grow into that. I, I pray that you would open our ears to hear the cry of those around us. Open our eyes to see. God, let us live in a brand new level of love for one another, I pray.